It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The message today, the unseen danger. The unseen danger. If you remember the story, Noah built an ark. All through the years of his building that ark, people came and watched. They ridiculed. They laughed at him. Until finally one day, the animals came marching into the ark. Then the door was closed. And the next day dawned sunny and warm. Everyone in town was laughing. What fools to go in that ark with all of those animals. You realize it was not a boat. A boat has a rudder. A boat has a source of propulsion. This was just an ark. And then the rain came. The people, the scientific community, no one believed that rain was coming. Now, I recognize that it's humbling. It doesn't matter what we believe. God will do what he said he will do. I know we're in America, and we think everything is based on our opinions. But what God does is not based on my belief or my opinion. It doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I say. God is going to do what God has said he is going to do. It is above and beyond. It is outside of my control. All that will occur will be my life placed in danger because of what I've chosen to believe or not believe, what I've chosen to act upon. Remember one year ago today, the tsunami hit Japan. Those people did not believe that a tsunami was coming. I've watched with fascination and, and horror the, the videos as men and women scrambled to safety and some did not make it. I remember one video showing a car bobbing in the water as it was being shoved forward and then ripped out to sea. And there was a person sitting in that car. Can you imagine sitting in a car, bobbing in that wild water, knowing you were going to die? Many warnings had been given about the danger of a tsunami in that area. They were simply not believed. Many warnings have been given about Oregon, Washington, California, on the coastline. And this last week, scientific uh, evidence came forward that the exact same thing that happened in Japan a year ago is shaping up to happen off the coast of Oregon and Washington and Northern California. And the scientific community is saying there is zero percentage possibility of not having a tsunami in this area. Now the question is, when will it occur? And then they interviewed people who lived right along the Oregon coast. 
And they said, how do you feel about living here? Well, it's not going to happen in my lifetime. One community was a community of 2,000 people. And so they're choosing to set up the city center as a safe place in case a tsunami comes. 15 feet above the level on, on pillars, a wide staircase so people can race up to the top to escape. And someone said, will that building hold 2,000 people? No, not even close. What does everybody else do? Well, they'll have to look out for themselves. That means they'll have to die. Information comes. We make decisions about that information. And based on the decisions we make, we live or we die. When the danger is not apprehended, it's not seen, it looks like we're safe. But because we believe we're safe, does not mean that we're safe. Because what I believe and what I say and what I think does not influence the larger world. This unseen danger, reading from Pilgrim's Progress for just a moment for you, is spoken of when goodwill is at the open door and he's speaking with Christian Let me read it for you. How is it that only you decided to come here, Goodwill inquired? Christian explained, because none of my neighbors saw the danger they were in. But I saw it more and more clearly. So in the story of Pilgrim's Progress, we have him leaving the city of destruction and fleeing for safety because he saw danger in the city of destruction. And because he saw that danger, he fled. But all the rest of the people did not see the danger, so they didn't flee. Now, there's one other part I want to read for you today. After goodwill opens the door, and allows Christian to enter, to begin the narrow path. He comes quickly to the house of the interpreter. And there, he's given seven pictures to hold in his heart and his mind as he makes the journey toward the celestial city. This was the first picture that he was given. So he commanded his servants to light the candle, and then ask Christian to follow him to the private room that when the manservant opened the door, revealed a picture of a very grave person hanging on the wall. This is what the man in the picture looked like. He had eyes lifted up to heaven, the best of books in his hand, the law of truth written upon his lips, the world behind his back. He stood as if pleading with men, and a crown of gold hung over his head. 
Then said Christian, what does this mean? The man in the picture represents one of a thousand. He can conceive children, travail in birth with children, and nurse them himself when they are born. You see him with the eyes lifted up to heaven, the best of books in his hand, and the law of truth written on his lips. All of this is to show you that his work is to know and unfold the dark things to sinners. You see him pleading with men, the world cast behind him, and the crown hanging over his head to show that by rejecting and despising the things of this present world for the love that he has for his master's service, he is sure to have glory as his reward in the world to come. I've shown you this picture first because the man whom it represents is the only man authorized by the Lord of the palace where you're going to be your guide in all the difficult places you will encounter on the way. So pay attention to what I've shown you and keep this picture foremost in your mind so that if you meet someone who doesn't resemble this picture's likeness but who pretends to lead you in the right way, you will not follow him to destruction. He's speaking about a pastor or he's speaking about a godly man or woman. That's the picture. The world behind Truth on your lips, a crown not on your head, but hanging above your head because it's not yours yet. It's only promised. Someone who will speak honestly with you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm giving you this preface today because we usually take one story or one picture And we unpack that, and I share that with you in an expository way. Today, I don't want to do that. Sometimes we need to see the overall picture of Scripture to get the impact of what's being said. You can take one Scripture and build a whole theology out of it and have it be a false picture of what's really happening. I want you to see an overall broad, sweeping landscape of what Jesus was really teaching about those who would come and follow him. So let's begin with Luke, the 13th chapter. And please jot down the scriptures. You're going to want to go back to these. We're going to go very quickly through them. Look at Luke, the 13th chapter, verse 24. I'll read to you from the King James Version. Luke 13, 24. Strive, or in the Greek, agonize, to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able to. Then if we look at Matthew, the seventh chapter, I'll begin reading with verse 13. Matthew 7. Verse 13, enter through the suffering affliction gate. That's what the Greek word is for narrow. Enter through the suffering affliction gate, 
For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small or groaning is the gate and suffering affliction the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So let's put away now once and for all this idea that most people are going to go to heaven. And let it begin to really sink into your heart. Are you in unknown danger? Are you aware of the danger your life is in? Is there a soberness about your life recognizing that you may very well not go to heaven? And that means you will go to hell. Only two places here. All religions lead to the same place. All religions lead to the same place. They lead to the judgment bar of God. All mankind is on their way. You are on your way today to the judgment bar of God. So regardless of what you may think your life is about, regardless of how connected you are in friendship with family and with others, you are on your way to the judgment bar of God. There are no paths that will lead you anywhere but to that judgment bar. If I know that this next week I have an appointment with the dentist, you know what I'm saying in my heart? I hate going to the dentist. I don't want to go. But I'm on my way to the dentist. And I know on Wednesday, 1 o'clock, I'll be at my appointment. You have an appointment with God. And he is drawing you to that appointment today. What happens at that judgment bar will be determined by whether or not you see your personal danger and make the adjustments in your life so that when you get to that judgment bar, the blood of Jesus Christ covers you. Now, I don't know how to even begin to say this to you in a way that I'll be heard. So I'm going to simply go to scriptures. I'm going to read them aloud and ask you to follow me. Let's go first to Matthew, the 16th chapter. I'm going to begin reading with verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, that is, if anyone is sincere and honest about wanting to follow Jesus, he must deny himself. That is, he must give up all self-dependence. He must submit all personal interest. He must utterly turn away from his own desires and then take up his cross. That is, embrace whatever consequences there will be in your life for making the decision to follow Jesus. If that means you lose your job, you lose your job. I'm struggling right now with a young man who is trying to follow Jesus, but he's bouncing all over the place, and he's in grave danger of totally losing his way. Why? Because just as he came to Jesus, he was offered a job, 
And that job demands that he be there on Sunday. And now he's faced with a very painful choice. If he doesn't have the job, he lives with mom and dad. And if he doesn't have a job, they're going to kick him out of the house. They've said he must have a job. But his job demands that he be there on Sunday. So what should he do? Should he be here in the house of the Lord, worshiping, listening to the message, being prayed for, being encouraged, or should he be at his job? Well, that depends on where he wants to end up. If he doesn't apprehend his danger, he'll say that it's most important that I have money and that I have housing. Unfortunately, that's to not apprehend the danger that's about his life. When you choose to follow Jesus and you take up your cross, it means you're willing to pay whatever the price is for following after Jesus. If that means I lose my job because I'm following Jesus, then I lose my job. Do I trust Jesus to give me another job? If it means that mom and dad are going to kick me out of the house because I've been irresponsible for so many years, but now I'm following Jesus, and they're not, and if I don't have a job, they kick me out, then that's one of the consequences of following Jesus. So you take up your cross and you follow Jesus, even if it means you're homeless. That's what it means to take up my cross and follow Jesus. This relationship with Jesus is not something that is based on, okay, I need my money to take care of my life. I need my car to give me transportation. I need my grocery stores where I can get my food supplies. I need my health club so I can work out and be healthy. And I need my church so I can be spiritually encouraged. That's called American lifestyle. That's not called following after Jesus. It's a path of paganism. When I say, I am now going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to deny myself, I may have to deny myself that car. I may have to deny myself the house. When I began to seriously follow Jesus as a pastor, I immediately lost two houses. And then I lost my retirement. Then I lost all of my savings. Well, was it worth it? Yes. Because I took up my cross and I began to follow Jesus. And no matter what it cost... I knew that Jesus was in charge of my life and that I could trust him for my food, my shelter. He took care of everything. Now, it also meant for me that for five years, my wife and I were homeless. And no Christian family opened their home and said, Pastor, come stay with us. In fact, Not even one wonderful Christian family said, Pastor, come and have dinner with us. Didn't happen. But a pagan family said, Pastor, come live with me. And so for the next five years, we lived with this pagan family. We found ways to give to them, and they found ways to give to us. And even today, 
when I'm with this family, they tell their friends, Ray's a, he's an old housemate. They don't say Ray was homeless. They say Ray was our housemate. When you decide to follow Jesus, all bets are off. You now are willing to pay whatever price you're required to pay to follow Jesus. He's not a hood ornament. He's not a a rabbit's paw that you carry in your pocket and rub for good luck. When you decide to follow Jesus, you embrace whatever conditions will result from your making the decision to follow Jesus. And I can tell you now, friends will cut you off and God will give you new friends. You'll lose jobs and God will give you another one. You may lose cars, you may lose houses, you may lose everything you count precious. But the promise of God is that he would add and give you much more beyond. And that's my testimony. God has given me so much beyond. I now have absolute trust in God to provide for me. The Lord opened this radio. Astonishing. He moved on the hearts of the leadership of that station to call me and ask me to come, saying, we need this kind of gospel broadcast on the air. Would you come and do it? Only God could have done that. He opened the way. He made the way possible. Right now, the National Prayer Chapel has to move out of this facility. The Episcopalians have won the lawsuit with the Anglicans. And so St. Margaret's Anglican has to walk out of this place and leave everything behind. God has opened the way for us to go with them. And so we'll be moving with them to a new location. And frankly, it's going to be a much nicer location. God did that. We couldn't have done it. He knew how he wanted to provide for the radio broadcast. Part of how he's doing that is cutting the rent. When you're willing to embrace whatever conditions result or whatever troubles come in your life when you follow Jesus, that's what it means by taking up your cross. Then following Jesus means literally to imitate Jesus, to do and suffer with love and joy. It means to allow whatever persecutions come upon your life because you proclaim the name of Jesus. It means giving up the right to be angry. It means giving up bitterness. It means submitting to Jesus Christ and following him. It says, verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. That means that this young man is going to have to come to a place where he recognizes that he will have to lose his job. That's losing his life. And with it, perhaps his housing. And then Jesus says he'll find, he'll find life. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? 
For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. There's another passage we need to look at. It's found in Mark, the eighth chapter. I'm going to begin reading with verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. One of the things that I used to really struggle with is I was pleasing by nature. And so when when conflict would emerge, I would always take the side of the person I thought was the weakest and try to protect them from what the other person was saying. For a long time, I thought myself noble for doing that. I was the protector. In reality, what I was really doing was trying to prevent conflict because I was uncomfortable with conflict. And if I could keep everything peaceful and quiet, then everything would be fine. But the truth is, conflict will come as soon as the cross of Jesus is lifted up in your life. It will come at work. It will come at home. Conflict will begin to blow up in your face. And the question is, where's your heart for following Jesus? Is your heart just to smooth everything over and make everybody look just the same? And take the part of the person that you think is going to get hurt. Or are you willing to stand for righteousness and not take sides except the side of Jesus? Have you been ashamed of the straight word of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I confess for many years I was very ashamed of the gospel of Jesus I would be around people and not tell them even that I was a pastor. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be friends. And if they ask, I pastor a church. Is that what it's about? No, it's not. Today, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. One of the things I enjoy doing is going into a Barnes & Noble bookstore and, and getting a coffee in their cafe and sitting in Barnes & Noble and just bring my big Bible in and lay it on the table and read it. You know part of why I enjoy doing that? It's a different atmosphere, and it's nice sometimes to just get in a different atmosphere where you can read, and the phone's not ringing. But another reason I enjoy it is because people see me reading the Word. And some people will come up to my table... Say, oh, you're reading the Bible. That was obvious. And then I say to them, can I pray for you? Almost always that person will say, yes, please pray for me. 
And then I take it the next step. I say, what can I pray for in your life? Are you walking clean before God or is there sin in your heart? I have yet to have one person say to me, I'm clean before God. Every time that person has said, sometimes standing in Barnes and Noble with tears coming down their cheeks, saying, there's sin in my life. And I start to pray right there. They're standing there. I'm sitting at the table and I'm praying for them. Sometimes they'll actually sit down with me and we'll be able to have a lengthy conversation. I'll say, go grab a coffee. Come join me. Sometimes they do. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's my life. It's what I'm about. It defines my my whole personhood. There is nothing else I want to do or nothing else I want to talk about. I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about his coming again. I'm excited about Jesus. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Then look at Luke, the ninth chapter. What I'm hoping you'll see is that this is not just one passage or two passages. This is the reoccurring theme through the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. Luke 9, verse 23, then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The words take up, literally in the Greek, is the same word used for pulling up an anchor from a ship. Weighing anchor. In other words, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and pull up all of his anchors. Are your anchors in your family? Are your anchors in a person? Are your anchors in Jesus Christ? A journey's coming. He's saying, pull up your anchors and follow me. It has the sense of motion. We're going somewhere. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very soul? The word soul simply means who you are. Personality. It's your identity. If anyone is ashamed of me, verse 26, and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Look with me now back in Matthew. Go to Matthew, the 10th chapter. I'll begin with verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. 
Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Please, I hope you're hearing these passages of scripture not as poetry. These are the reality of what Jesus Christ is saying to us about following him. We need to take them simply at face value. He means what he says. There is great danger because, as we read at the beginning, many will not be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. They will come. They will try. They will say, we served you. We walked with you. And he will say to them, depart from me. I don't know you. Why doesn't he know them? Because they never followed him. They followed their own agendas. They followed their own interests. They followed their own goals and dreams and ambitions. They never followed Jesus. They were never willing to pay the price that is required when you take up your cross and follow Jesus. They were not willing to pay that price. And so they could not follow Jesus. This door to the narrow path, I want to stop and talk about it for just a moment. A door is used for two reasons. One, to keep people out. And two, to let people in. Right? Isn't that what the door on your house is for? Well, for God, for Jesus, the narrow door is not narrow. It's not because heaven is narrow. God is not a narrow person. It's because we're coming at it from this world, and everything of the world is pressing in. And Bunyan speaks about this in Pilgrim's Progress. He says that when the door began to open, goodwill reached out and grabbed him and jerked him in roughly. And Pilgrim says, why are you... Why are you doing it so roughly? He said, well, don't you see over there that castle, Apollyon's castle? He wanted to shoot arrows and kill you before you could get through the door. It's a place of great danger is what I'm telling you. This narrow door is not a place where you waltz up and say, oh, in there. Hey, anybody home? That's not how it works. If you do that, you'll be shot and killed. And many have been shot and killed. And they have gone on their way. They've even called themselves Christians. But they've never entered the narrow narrow road. The road looks narrow because the, the door does not allow in all of the world. It is a separating place. It is only for those who honestly desire to escape the sin burden that's on their backs. The only reason John Bunyan says that Christian made the journey was that he saw the danger he was in, and he greatly desired to escape that danger. And so he came to the door, and I love what Bunyan does at this door. It's a solid door. And it says that, Christian stood outside and knocked repeatedly on that door. 
And there was no answer. And finally, Christian says, A pitiable man has come to your door. A man who has sinned. And he begins to confess his sin at the door. And that's when Goodwill opens the door to him and jerks him inside. It's not like a traveler who's on some kind of adventure. Who arrives at the narrow door and says, hey, I think I'll try this door. No. It's a clear sense of danger. It's a sense of what's going to happen to me if this door does not open before me. And the casual traveler may knock on the door. And then when no one answers it, go his way. Some people have said to me, Pastor, I prayed and nothing happened and I, my sin is still on me. Well, this is not a one-time knock deal and the door opens. This is a door that does not open until there is a full and honest desire of the heart to enter into that narrow door. And it may require standing there in great danger with the enemy shooting at you, pounding on the door, and you know that either you get through that door or you're going to die. See, we've made this salvation thing Cheap and easy. You know, how many times I've been in a congregation, how many times I've done it. Everybody, bow your heads, close your eyes. And now, is there anybody that'd like to lift your hand and say, You'd like to follow Jesus? I don't do that anymore. Now I say, Everybody, look around, see everybody. And if there's somebody here bold enough to say, I want to follow Jesus, come on up here to the front. I want to pray for you. Why? Following Jesus is not private. It's public. It's out in the open where everyone can see there's no little private deal with Jesus. Always remember one gregarious, handsome man. He owned a clothing store. He would come to church, and then he'd be gone for several weeks. Then he'd come, and then he'd be gone for several weeks. So I finally went down and found him in his clothing store. And I said, called him by name and gave him a hug. And he was very warm and gracious and showed me his clothing store. And I said to him, why aren't I seeing you in church? He said, oh, pastor, I've got this deal with God. I said, what do you mean? Well, God and I have an understanding. He knows that when I have to be here for the business, I have to be here. Oh, really? So he's going to go to heaven. He knows God loves him, and he knows he's on his way to heaven because he has a special dispensation from God. I want to tell you today, God doesn't cut any special deals. This man was utterly deceived. And when I told him so, he never came back to church. Instead, he found a church where he could go and they would accept that he had a special deal with God and give him great honor and recognize that he was a wonderful Christian man. While in reality, he was just a thug. With thug clothing. Utterly wicked. Playing around on his wife. No godliness in his heart. Somewhere, don't we have to begin to be honest about who we are before Jesus? 
and where we stand and recognize the danger we're in and begin to recognize what it costs to go that narrow path. It may cost husband, wife, children. It may cost us everything. In fact, if it doesn't cost us everything, what are we doing? Now, I'm not telling you to leave behind your husband or your wife or your children. I'm saying to you that your love for Jesus and your desire to follow him has to be greater than your love and protection for your family. Jesus must be number one in your heart. He will not take second place. Anyone who loves his father or mother, verse 37, more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Could I also say, anyone who loves their sin more than Jesus is not worthy of Jesus? There's another scripture. Turn with me to Luke. Luke, the 12th chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 49. I've come to bring fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you see, Jesus took up his cross and followed the will of the Father. And now he's saying to us, take up your cross and follow me. It's also the cross. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. The Lord is saying... I have to have absolute loyalty in your heart. You must be utterly given over to me. And you must recognize the danger as you make your way toward the final judgment. Look at Luke 13, verse 23. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort, or it's the same Greek word, Agonize to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door to us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you came from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping. There will be gnashing of teeth. Do you see? At the judgment, we will be who we are. We will be conscious. And we will see the result of our behavior, and where it has led us. But at that point, it is too late. It is over. It's finished. There's no recourse. There is a strange phenomena that's occurring in America. The whole American economy is dying. 
the mainstream news media is saying that the whole economy is improving. But statistically, if you look at the economist reports, it's dying. So here we have the mainstream saying, go spend your money, live your life. Tomorrow is going to be like today, and the next day is going to be like today, and the next day and the next week. Don't worry. Be happy. Well, on the economical side, the economics, many of the professors are saying it's going to implode. Fiat currency cannot survive. The debt bomb is going to go off. Food prices are going to skyrocket. There will be starvation. There will be civil disobedience. I mean, please just think for a moment. They say that there's three days worth of food in the grocery store chains. What would happen if the trucks stopped moving? How long could you last with the food you have in your house right now? How long until you'd be hungry? They're telling us that there's going to be great civil strife and disobedience with people stealing and, and robbing and killing because they're starving to death. Now, that's happening in many parts of the world. But in America, we don't believe that could happen here. We think that tomorrow I'll have my job and I'll have my house and I'll have my car and the next day and the next. But today, many Americans who thought that are homeless. I don't know if you've taken the time to go visit a tent city. Yes, they're around Woodbridge. I've walked through them and I've talked with people. One man who slept out beside Coles for three years on the picnic table in the ice and snow made over $100,000 a year until his world collapsed. And then slowly everything was stripped out of his life until he had nothing. And he was homeless. The only way he got out of that situation, he met a woman who had a business. And they ended up getting together. So he went and lived with her and helped with her business while he got his business started again. He came to church while he was in such desperate condition. But as soon as he got back on the gravy train, he no longer had any interest in Jesus. Tomorrow's not going to last. And if you can't trust God for your food and your shelter, who will you trust? Can you get on your face before God and pray and have him answer your prayers in the physical realm? Could you pray in your food? Could you pray in your shelter? Could you pray in your transportation? Have you dealt with your sin? Do you know the danger you're in? Do you know the danger America is in? Are you ready? Is your heart filled with fear? Or have you lulled it to sleep? Or have you decided to follow Jesus and pay whatever the price is to follow him? Look at Luke, the 14th chapter, verse 26. 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, and that word hate can be translated indifferent, and I believe that that's the meaning here. If anyone comes to me and is not indifferent to his father or mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, as compared to Jesus, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. So today I ask you, have you considered the cost of following Jesus Christ? I don't mean the cost of coming to church. I don't mean the cost of putting some money in the offering plate. I mean the cost of following Jesus. Have you considered that cost? Have you been following him half-heartedly? Or are you utterly and totally given over with only one goal in mind, and that is to pursue Jesus Christ with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul? And then secondly, have you reached a point in your life where you're saying, I can't do this alone. I want to take as many with me as I can possibly grab a hold of and pull out of the fire and take with me to heaven. That's where I am. I say to people, I'm not building a church. I love the church. I love you all. But that's not why I'm here. I'm here to raise up a place of safety and learning where men and women can hear the call to the gospel and where men and women can begin to make decisions and together with me reach out and grab as many as we can grab and say, come on, do you see the danger? Let's get ready. Let's go. And I have to tell you, for many years, even as a pastor, I enjoyed the the services, I enjoyed the church, and I enjoyed all the rest of my life too. That's not how I walk anymore. Oh, I enjoy all of my life, but all of my life is poured out to follow Jesus. I don't have a separate eye to him to seek his face and to encourage as many of you as will come to go with me and seek his face and to lift you up as you do the same as I'm doing. And to encourage you in that journey. Do you see the danger you're in? It's almost as though there are morsels of sin 
And we see that delicious raspberry morsel of sin. And we grab it. And we eat it. And it leaves a bitterness in our heart and in our spirit. And we say, why did I do that? I don't want it. It's time to recognize that those morsels of sin that have been so precious to us through our lives did not sustain us, did not encourage us in the journey toward heaven, and they need to be cut off. They need to be cast out. That's why today I encourage you, read the scriptures, because it's only by reading the scriptures that conviction begins to fall on your heart. So what have you been doing with Jesus? Have you entered that straight and narrow path? Have you said, I will bear whatever consequences are necessary for the decision that I have made to follow after Jesus Christ? Or are you still playing with sin? Do you still have your anchor deep into money or lifestyle or house or a car or friends, family? Or have you pulled up your anchor and you're on the narrow road toward the celestial city? Almighty God, Jesus, I seek you with all of my heart, with all of my strength, and with all of my mind. And I race, I run toward heaven. I pray, Lord, for full and complete deliverance in this house. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. With great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless. For the presence of His glory.